Hello and welcome to Open YTO, a podcast that aims to share the experiences of QT BIPOC youth in navigating Toronto's sexual health and wellness resources. Through storytelling and dialogue, the podcast hopes to highlight the lack of information, the barriers to accessibility, and the lack of representation of QT BIPOC communities in our mainstream healthcare system. Today's episode is actually a continuation of our conversation with Bethany. If you'd like to catch the first part, be sure to listen to our previous episode. But to introduce Bethany again, Bethany is a peer counselor and coach based in Toronto. They identify as Black, trans, and queer, and have previously worked as a performer, a childcare worker, a sex educator, a facilitator, a producer, and an artist. They use their experience and skills to provide inclusive and low-cost counseling, and they bring an intersectional and trauma-informed lens to connect with and support their clients. So once again, we'd like to welcome Bethany. Um, through your conversations with your clients or just through your own research, um, are there any other like systemic barriers they can think of that comes to accessing sexual health care resources? Yeah. Yes. Um, this is like such an interesting topic because like there are so many barriers and it's really like like a lot of the barriers have come up through like my own personal experience. And then I see like, you know, my clients and my friends trying to access things and then like, you know, barriers do come up. Um, one of them is like, yeah, honestly, like our system is such that we don't invest a lot in preventative care. Right. So you get, so like a lot of the time to access some of these services that we really need, you need to prove that you're in an emergency state and that you're going to hurt yourselves or hurt others. Um, The issue with that is like when you're POC, um, admitting that you're gonna hurt yourself or hurt others is not, it's not a good position to put yourself in. Like, it's not a good position to be like, like, you know, I'm black, I'm going through a mental health crisis. I think that I could hurt myself or others because, um, because like, yeah, it's not, but at that, at the point that like you're receiving help at that point, um, like then the help doesn't become like, let's help my mental health. The help, the help becomes like, let's stop you from hurting yourself or others, which often means that you're like, you know, like restrained or, um, put in the hospital, like against your will. So like when you're dealing with a, like a population of POC that are, you know, potentially like who've lived in other countries, like potentially who, um, have experienced incarceration, like, Mm -hmm that's not, I I totally understand that that's not like a system that people like willingly will want to put themselves in. So I really, really, really champion, um, I champion preventative care for that reason, because um, yeah, like it, like, it's like, it's really, it is just a really painful thing to sort of be in a situation where you just so desperately need help and you have to kind of And then like, yeah, you have to be vulnerable in this way that could, um, you know, affect your future and stuff. So that's like a very big, like gigantic, like um, that's a big barrier. And um, what's really interesting is like, I like, I was in, I stayed in CAMH for a time many, many years ago. And um, the thing that was like really interesting about my experience there was that, I had to kind of access, like, I don't know if you know about like code switching and like respectability politics, but um, just for anyone who is listening that might not know, would you like to expand on that at all? Yeah. So code switching is like what a lot of like uh, people who are in marginalized communities do 
Um, it's the idea of talking differently around your family or trusted people, or your friends than how you do with um, like people who are figures of authority or people who have some kind of power over you or just people that you want to fit in with in a different way. So like what was really interesting about my experience is that like I navigated it by doing a lot of code switching, a lot of like hey, like I got into a program where I was, um, where I was getting like my mental health, like, you know, looked after. And like, I felt like I was on, like, I just felt like I had to be so good and so nice and so sweet just so that people wouldn't like, you know, just so the nurses would like treat me well. And I wouldn't like have any like enemies or anything. And so like, I think that like when POC are like navigating like these like mental health like systems and like, and we're in an emergency point, it is super important to have people around that we don't have to, we don't have to protect ourselves around and people who we can just like be ourselves with. Um, oftentimes that's really hard because like when you're in a state of emergency, oftentimes that means that you don't have the community around you, but um, that you need. But uh, yeah, like I will say that like, yeah, like it is a barrier to realize that like you as yourself, as you are, um, you know, the help that you get might look different than like what kind of help like a white person gets or like the way that your meltdown is perceived might be way different than how like a white person's meltdown is received. And um, so, yeah, so that's like, these barriers happen a lot of the times when we have to get to that point of, um, when we have to get to that point of emergency. So uh, like, I find it really important to sort of like see, if, like intervene as early as possible. So we kind of like, don't get there. Um, Cause when we do get there, it's very difficult. And um, specifically like sexual health and sexual like um, wellness, like some barriers that we receive, like that like POC face are like, like, like price, like it, like mm -hmm. it's expensive to, it's expensive, like birth control is expensive, like condoms are expensive. Like, um, so I really, really encourage people, uh, like there's a place called Hassle Free Clinic and they just give out condoms. So I always can, like, I always, uh, like I always um, suggest to people that like, you have some like form of birth control um like you know do a little bit of like like go see if you can like find some for free and just like have it on you so you're not in a situation where you're like because like because i think the thing that is like really interesting that we've especially like learned in the pandemic is that like sex is like sex is like can be high risk and dangerous but it's also free you know so it's like if you're looking for something like if like we're in situations where like, maybe we don't have like, you know, like we've like lost our jobs or something. And like, we just want to feel good. Like a lot of us will turn to having sex. And so it's like being able to facilitate um, those interactions and like, and to have like, before you're in the situation to have some like options for safe sex. Like, I think that that's like really, really important. And um, also, so wait, where was I? So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like barriers. Yeah. <laughs> barriers. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, that's like that, like the cost can be a thing. And then also just like, this is like, this is sort of like a complicated topic because um, birth control is also like, um, birth control doesn't work for everybody. Um, birth control, like hormonal birth control. Um, and a lot of uh, like a lot of hormonal birth control was actually uh, um, originally developed and tested on um, black women. And um the side effects of like the drugs were tested on a lot of like low income, like POC, um, you know, in like, I think the like forties and fifties. And um, the goal was not to 
provide a situation where like you could go on these pills and have like really great safe sex. The situation, it was, it was sort of a, it was a population control kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, and so even today, like, you know, a lot of like, like black women or like POC women might not find like getting on birth control or like taking birth control to be something that is like something that like works with like our bodies and makes us feel good. So, um, and that's like one of those barriers that like, it's really hard because like birth control is so important and we need birth control. And there's no part of me that's like birth control is bad, but there is a reality of like the fact it doesn't, it doesn't work for everybody. And there's not a lot of conversation about there's that there's not a lot of conversation about like, Hey, I took this, like, I took this thing to like help like myself and to like, you know, you know, facilitate safer sex, but it's like really not working for me. And, um, and so like, yeah, I think that like a barrier can be just sort of like having options, but then the options are not actually, uh, they were not created with your comfort and your, and your desire in mind. They were kind of created for like a functional purpose. Um, so yeah, that is like, that is just like, and that's a barrier that like, um, that's a barrier that it is so personal to each person. And like, it's so like, it's just so like, it just involves, like, you just, you do just have to sort of like know your body and like, see how you feel. So like, that's kind of like where, um, and like, the thing is with that is that like, there, like, there are like a few like different birth control options just in terms of like different kinds of condoms you can wear. Like you can have different kinds of hormonal uh, birth control. You can get like a, a copper, um, a copper, um, oh my gosh. IUD. IUD. Yeah. I'm like USB, UTI, uh, uh, but like a copper, a copper IUD, <laughs> but yeah, you it's can't so get bad. a copper IUD as well. So there are options. So it's like, I think that like, I think that like to work with that barrier is to just like not feel bad about yourself if you are trying something and it doesn't work. So like, and there's lots of reasons why, like, you know, anyway, but I think that like, I think that the barrier, I think that acknowledging that these barriers exist, acknowledging that like, yeah, it is going to be a more difficult and harsher experience to get help. Um, yeah, there are financial barriers The like, you know, the birth control that we're given freely is not necessarily like, you know, conducive to us, like enjoying ourselves, like having, like understanding that these are some like barriers that we face and being able to like, and not taking those, not taking that stuff and making it about yourself, like not being like, not being like, oh, I'm like, this birth control doesn't work for me. There's something wrong with me. Or like this, um, you know, this lube or this condom gave me a rash. Like, oh, like I can't talk about it. I'm just going to stop using them and not say anything. Like being able to understand that these issues that you face are happening to other people too, and that there are conversations like about it um, can sort of be a good way to like take control of your own like body and your own journey and maybe find uh, situations that are a little bit more um more comfortable and more feasible and more sustainable so yeah 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 I do condoms I didn't realize that um whenever someone says right control, yeah. I immediately think oh pill um but not recognizing that yeah, yeah that it doesn't work for everyone um I think that was, that was something actually quite new to me because I just assumed like oh everyone yeah. gets a pill it works for everyone and it's a yeah and it's, true it's really interesting because like I always worry about coming across as like a conspiracy theorist, but um, they're like, oh, they're trying to put the government. And like, but um, but I think the thing is with like, yeah, like the thing is with hormonal birth control. Um, yeah, like 
the best, I think it's a good thing to do is like, look at your family history and see how your family is handled. Like if other people in your family have been on birth control, um, it's a good, so it's like, if, if your family's using it and you're using it and you're not having any issues, that's totally fine. I think it's just, um, yeah, like I think especially for like black femmes, like I know that like when I was on birth control, I had some like really unpleasant side effects. Part of it had to do with the fact that I am trans. And so taking estrogen was like not a good move for my uh, gender dysphoria. But also there was just like a lot of like very physical side effects. Um, there was a lot of mental, like there was a lot of mental stuff that like wasn't working out for me. And I was really encouraged to just like keep at it. So like I was encouraged to stay on it for three months. And um, I think that like, that wasn't a bad suggestion by any means, but um, yeah, that, that three months, like really, it, it, like that was a really, really hard time for me. And that was like a really, like, it was a really difficult thing. And it's just, it's very, it's sometimes, uh, it's sometimes complicated. Cause like, um, yeah, cause it's just sort of like, I was going through this. I was like, not aware that what I was experiencing was not normal. And then, um, yeah. And sort of when I would kind of talk about it, people would just sort of be like, would be like, oh, that's not my experience. I don't understand. So I kind of like, you know, I ended up talking to my family and my parents and my mom was like, oh yeah, like I hated birth control. Your aunt wasn't able to take it. Like we, and like, I, and like, I found out all this stuff that I like didn't realize because I was nervous to talk to my mom about that kind of stuff. But like when, um, yeah, that's like, but I think that like, this kind of goes back to our earlier point, but like, Sometimes if you take and you understand sexual health as health issues, it can be a little bit easier to be open with your stuff because it's not like, I would never have a conversation with my mom that was like, oh, I would like to have unprotected sex. And so I'm taking this pill and like, I need you to tell me how I feel about it. Like, that's not a conversation that's worth having. But if I can talk to my mom and I can be like, hey, so listen, like I'm on a prescription medication. It is birth control. Like you understand that you understand that this is the purpose of me taking this is so that I can like, you know, have sex, but we're not going to talk about that part because that's not relevant. What's relevant is I'm having an issue with like my health and my medication. And I would just love to hear what you think about it. And so sometimes we can actually have conversations about like sexual health. If we kind of de, if we like, de, like take the actual act of intercourse kind of out of it, because there's a difference between having a conversation that's like, I have chlamydia versus like, Hey, like I've noticed that my skin, there's just a skin rash down there and I'm not really sure what it is. And I'm nervous. Like you're allowed to talk about your health and the things that you're, you're experiencing without sexualizing yourself and without bringing, like, you don't, the conversation doesn't have to be like, I had sex with Tommy and then Tommy like took off his rubber and that like, you don't have to have that conversation with people um, because that's kind of your business. Um, but if you want to have a conversation that's sort mm -hmm. of focused on like your body and like what you're experiencing, sometimes that can be a good way to get like information you need without feeling like a lot of like shame over like, how it happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially the fact that you yourself can frame your question and concern in a way that doesn't, um, expose your, mm -hmm. you, like you are perfectly allowed to set up yep. those barriers in how you present information mm -hmm. to others. Um, cause I think a lot of folks, they think that, Oh, if I'm going to be vulnerable, I might as well like throw everything on. Oh my table. God. It's like, no, you absolutely don't yeah. need to do that. And like, I think a thing that's really interesting about that too is like when we look back at the systemic barriers like part of getting mental health help is people ask you over and over again what are you experiencing what happened why are you here what happened and you're there's sort of sometimes a pressure to present this super vulnerable narrative that's like telling you every single like terrible thing that you felt and every single terrible thing that you've like experienced 
But I think that like, the truth is like, these questions that people ask you are like diagnostic. They're not, they're not like looking to hear about like your personal experience. And sometimes people feel that they're not going to get help if people don't understand exactly what you're going through. But a lot of times, like if you are looking for like professional help and you're in a situation where you're like maybe talking to an intake nurse or a doctor, sometimes if you can keep it down to symptoms and not tell all of the context around, not necessarily like not feel that you have to justify your experience to get help and just like, just like being confident in the fact that like, yo, like I have suicidal ideation right now. Like not me personally, but if you're like in that situation, you're like, I have suicidal ideation. This is kind of like, like I have sort of like this plan. Like you don't have to say like, you don't have to say like, oh, my boyfriend broke up with me and it's been such a hard week. And like, you know, I started feeling this way and like, I just get so embarrassed because like, I just don't understand how he couldn't love me. Like you don't like that information is yours, you know, and that information is good, like good to share with like, you know, like a counselor, friends, trusted people, like the information that you want to bring to people who you're looking for healthcare advice is sort of just like, what is going on with your body? Like, what are you feeling? Because those are the questions that they're actually equipped to answer. And they're not equipped to give you, they're not equipped to give you like life advice. They're not. And like, sometimes, um, and I think a thing that's like really unfortunate that can happen is like, sometimes when you're explaining your life experience, um, you know, these people in power, like they'll, they'll use that, like they'll use that information. And then that will sometimes come through in like the kind of treatment you get. So like, for instance, if you're feeling really depressed and you explain to someone that you and your boyfriend just broke up there, like I have heard lots of situations where people have been like, oh, well, you're not mentally ill. You just had a breakup come back to me later. And it's like, you know, you could be sitting in a bed having just swallowed like a bottle of pills and people are like, it's still, you know, it's like, like, I don't know, it's really easy for, um, it's really easy for like, like, it's really easy to like, like lose what you need in like big personal narratives. And like, it's just totally okay if you don't trust people that like, you know, you don't like trust a random nurse or a random doctor with your entire backstory, you know? Cause like, yeah, that can also be, that can also be a way that like, we accidentally stigmatize ourselves just like by, um, revealing too much to people who don't have our best interest in mind you know well the interesting thing about privacy is like when I talk about it in like a counseling sense I just mean that like I just mean that you are the only like you were the only um like the only perspective I'm gonna have on your stories so you don't actually have to tell a story like if you're going through something and processing something you don't actually have to be like you don't have to be like, like, oh, well, yeah, like we got in a fight, but like, I think they were right. Like you can come in and vent, you can like talk shit. You can present the situation in a way that is reflective of how you feel. And then later we can kind of come back down to like reality and talk about like what your responsibility is, what like their responsibility is. But like, yeah, that privacy for me just means like go off. Like no one's gonna, you know, like there's not, there's no fact checkers here. There's no one who's gonna like, I'm not going to call your roommate and be like, did it really happen like that? Like, just like, cause it's like, I, I think that a lot of people really feel that they have this duty to tell things in this like completely logical, like unobjective way, like when talking to like therapists and counselors. And it's just like, this is literally just like about you and how you feel. And like some of the stuff that you feel is not necessarily stuff that you're actually going to act on, but you got it. You're allowed to feel it. You're allowed to say it. Like you're like, you know, and like, the privacy like I offer is that like, yeah, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like go and like 
tell people like about your experience. I'm not going to go and check in with people that you bring up in your sessions. Like it really is just like, you know, it's just like you and me and stuff. So yeah, that's, I think that that's like a, that's like, yeah. Cause it's like, I don't know. I think privacy, privacy can sometimes like privacy and secrecy can sometimes like you can kind of confuse the two. Um, and secrecy is really isolating and scary sometimes because it's, it's sort of driven by this fear of people finding out what you want. And then like privacy is really great because it, it's, uh, it's um, inspired by this confidence that like, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to express stuff like exactly right. You can change your mind. You can change your goals. You can change like, you know, you can change how you feel. You can start something and then decide you don't want it at all. And the privacy just means that there's not going to be a whole bunch of people like, you know, either like online or like your friends and family being like checking in and being like, well, you know, you said you were going to do this. Like, why aren't you doing this? Like, it's, yeah, it just sort of means it's just like a place where you can kind of like, you can make mistakes and grow and like not have to worry about, you know, like explaining yourself to other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So going back to your uh, counseling experience, I know that when I was introducing you, um, I had said that you bring an intersectional uh, and a trauma-informed lens when you are um, interacting with your clients. And for everyone who is listening, um, can you just elaborate as to what a uh, trauma-informed lens is and why it's important to have um, this lens when you are interacting with your Yeah, clients? so a trauma-informed lens is super important because like, okay, we... I think like our brains and bodies want, like we believe that we're like mostly logical and mostly linear, but um, the reality is that like when we experience trauma, um, basically like what happens in our bodies is usually we're being like triggered by something that happened in the past that we needed to be protected or to protect ourselves from. So if you experience something like really intense that you like really needed protection from and you maybe didn't get it or you maybe had to cause it yourself, uh, uh, you had to protect yourself. Um, sometimes talking about vulnerable things that remind you of that place that you were will mean that you're going to respond like, you know, like you're going to respond to protect yourself rather than respond in a way that like encourages like that that's like open and like growth and stuff. So um when I talk about like trauma informed, like coaching and counseling, basically like, I'm just acknowledging that I am not a doctor, not a psychologist. So my goal is not to go in and dig up those complicated feelings. My goal is not to make you re-experience those things in our sessions, but I understand that sometimes, like sometimes we might, sometimes we might have these feelings come up and these reactions come up. And me understanding that and me like impressing upon to my, like uh, impressing onto my clients that that is a normal and okay thing that happens means that, um, means that like when we are having our sessions and we're talking about things, like it just means that like, I understand that um, sometimes if like we're talking about something and there's like this completely disproportionate reaction to something, um, having a trauma-informed lens sort of says to me like, oh, hey, that might be a sore spot or that might be something that is like tender. And um, when like, you know, a trained and like, you know, like MD or like, like PhD or like masters of social work or something, when someone like that sees a tender spot, there are sometimes places when you can like therapeutically push on that and be like, what's going on? What's happening? In a counseling session, um, 
there are ways to talk about like past trauma and to weave them into your story now. So to acknowledge them and to say that this is like what happens, but it's not a space for me to push on that trauma like in our sessions because um because I'm not because like me understanding like like me being trauma aware means that I understand that like you know you're trying to protect yourself but I don't know what you're trying to protect yourself from so sometimes if like sometimes if you push and you're just trying to protect yourself from like maybe a feeling of abandonment then pushing on that like and and like being able to open up and being like hey like I'm here for you. Like, you know, you're going to be okay. Sometimes that works, but if you're pushing on something and it is a protection from like, maybe it's a protection from an attack or a sexual assault, that's not going to like, you know, if you push on that and then the person is reacting and being like, like, you know, like, ex- like an extreme reaction stuff, like that's not a situation that I want to put my clients in. And that's not a situation that I want to be in. So um, yeah, like, so basically like when we hit those spots that feel tender, like my trauma informed response is to go, Hey, that feels like a tough spot. Like, I feel that let's, you know, let's take a second, like, you know, let's take a second, let's take a breath. Like that is a real valid feeling, but this is not the time to dig into it. Like we're gonna, you know, like we're gonna sort of try and keep, um, we're gonna try and keep, um, a, like a float. Like we're gonna try to keep focused on like, sort of like what you're going through now, um, and contextualize it with what you've been through but we don't necessarily want to time travel and go back there and like face your demons and stuff, because that's, that is like really different work. That's therapeutic work. That's like work that, you know, is best left to like, you know, a doctor or like, you know, and like, you can still do so much amazing growth and you can still do so much like forward motion and stuff, even if you're not digging into all of the worst things that have that ever, ever, that have ever happened to you. And like, yeah, I think that that's like, it. I think that's an option that needs to exist because honestly, sometimes the trauma that we've gone through, sometimes digging into that and re-experiencing that, it makes it so that we can't, like, we don't have energy to, like, do other things in our lives that we're supposed to do. And it's really good to, like, if you're dealing with that kind of trauma, it's really good to take it super slow, like, go see someone who, like, you know, go see someone who is, like, very, like, trained in that kind of thing. And, like, you know, and in the meantime, like, a counseling and a coaching session is something where you can understand that, even though you've had those traumas and those experiences, you're still a very like awesome, valid person who is still capable of doing many great things. So it's like, that's, so that's like sort of how trauma uh, informed stuff works for me personally. And then um, the intersectionality piece is just like contextualizing. So like, if I have a client who is like, you know, like say like a, so like a white man, like in his thirties, like a white cis man in his thirties. And he says that, um, you know, he wants to deal with some of his anger because sometimes he, this is not a real person whatsoever, but like, yeah, he wants to deal with his anger because sometimes he has angry outbursts. Hearing that conversation from like, you know, a 35 year old white man versus hearing that conversation from like, you know, a 24 year old, like black trans person, like, with this, like, you know, like with someone with a different set of like intersections, like I, I would like, like, I can see how, like, if you're like, you know, like a white cis dude and you need to work on anger, like I would very much like, I would very much suggest that that anger is something that we don't project out because there is so much, like, there's already so much like, like, you know, aggression and like, but like, if you're like a younger, like, and the age doesn't have much to do with it, but like, if you're like, you know, a POC 
or if you're experienced, if you're like queer or trans, like it's very possible that you've always been told to hold that anger inside and you've always been told to manage it. And you've always had to have this experience where you've had to regulate your own emotions. So like an inform, so something that I might suggest to someone like that is like, yeah, you actually might want to find ways to project this out. You might want to find ways to get this out of your body. And then like, you know, someone else, it might be their experience to be like, Hey, you spent a lot of time pushing this anger onto other people. And your job might actually be to like, you know, take some responsibility and, and pull that in. And like, having like understanding where people sit in intersections means that like the information that we give and like the support that, that like the information that like I give and the support that I provide is going to look really different. And um, yeah, I just think that that's like really important because um, yeah, there are lots of schools of thought that are just like humans are just humans and we're all the same like brain chemistry and you just do this, 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 and everyone's good. And like, that's demonstrable, demonstrably not true so like yeah like being able to talk to talk like just like like so my clients know that like yeah like my clients know that like the information that they give me like that's something that I'm going to be like talking back to them with and like using using it to contextualize their experience like for me that's just sort of like um that's just me saying like basically like our sessions are going to be about you and me as opposed to being like like you're a client and we were going to do the list of things like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a little bit more tailored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like going through the checklist, like, oh, A, B and C. Exactly. Like- and like that. And like, I think that what's really nice about having uh, an extended experience in like, like retail and performance, like, is that like you learn, like, you just know, you just know very well that so many people are so different. Like, cause like as a, like as a comic, like, one of the things that I like, one of my most valuable lessons that I learned was that like, you can't do the same set to every single room and expect the same response. Like you can have your jokes that are like your core jokes, but like, if you don't have that space and that ability to just sort of look around at your audience <laughs> and then kind of like, um, like, you know, play to what you see, um, then, you know, it's, it's harder to like, you're, you know, you're like, it's not that you're a worse comic. It's just that like, it's just that like you, probably like won't be doing your job as a comic so you probably won't be making people laugh as much and there's other reasons to do comedy and stuff like just for self-expression so it doesn't necessarily like there's nothing wrong with people who don't focus on intersection or people who don't have trauma-informed lenses like there are still like valuable practices that can get a lot of good stuff done it's just that like you're gonna have that audience that it works for and then you're gonna have a lot of people who it doesn't work for so yeah I like to I like to be adaptable in hopes that I can like speak to and support the most the most varied amount of people yeah I think that ties in with just the importance of being transparent and Mm -hmm. open with how you take your practice because you've mentioned like when in in our conversation uh during our break we had said that uh on your website you have like a a blurb as to who you are and what your your approach and your practice is so for anyone who is looking for um a counselor or for a therapist um take the time to actually mm-hmm. read into who the individual you um, would like to work yeah. with is doing, how they approach their, their counseling and their sessions. Um, and that way you can find someone that is tailored to you and able to um, speak and to help you through uh, your challenges and your Yeah. Concerns. And like, don't be afraid to look for counselors who match some of your, like, some of your life experience and demographics. Like there's like, it's like, it's really okay to go like it's so, like the reason I put a bunch of stuff about like my identity and things that are important to me is because like like I like 
I like I as a queer person and as a trans person like I would rather see like like you know I'd rather see a like a queer trans or POC therapist um because then like doesn't it doesn't mean that they're gonna be like it doesn't mean that they're gonna understand everything that I'm going through but um it does like I think that there is something that is like like just I think there's something really valuable about like not necessarily having to like explain what you're going through to someone who like has not experienced it and like um versus someone who you can kind of talk about it and they can kind of like meet you and be like yep that makes sense to me that works and like you know it is it is still just like such a journey of personal connection so you might find someone who has the exact same demographics as you and then like but like it's a tone thing or you're like or like you know you have a hard time interacting with them and that's like that's nothing to be ashamed of like it's so good to like shop around and like it's it's almost like um it's like it's kind of like dating in a way where you just want to like like not not in a no that's accurate yeah, right like not in a like sexual way whatsoever but like just you want to be able to feel comfortable talking to and opening up to someone and it's totally okay if like like part of destigmatizing too is just like trusting that the things that you are experiencing are like valid so if you have a weird like if you have if you meet someone and like you just don't vibe or you don't feel like they're listening to you in the way that makes sense to you or you don't feel like you're connecting like don't feel that you have to don't feel that like you have to be like okay I just have to like make this work as like keep looking you know yeah. yeah all right so we've talked a lot you've shared a lot of uh truth and wit pearls of wisdom um <laughs> throughout this conversation um so I'm gonna ask you a very tough yeah question. um if there's anything that you would like listeners to uh take away from this podcast or things that they should really um take to heart or use in their everyday life um what are some of the takeaways that you suggest yeah um I really like I know I just keep harping on this but like like yeah like privacy kindness non-judgment and consistency like these are like having relationships with people where you are able to like have like feel confident that you have all four of those things are so so helpful like those are the conversations that you're going to be able to like like or you're going to be able to talk about like sexuality and questions that you don't understand. Those are the, going to be the like the kind of relationships where you're going to be able to like open up and be like true to yourself. So like my whole thing is that first of all, like you can ask for each individual of those things. Like you can always go and inter an, into an interaction and be like, can this conversation stay between us? Is that okay? You can't have a conversation that's like, I'm feeling really sad and ashamed. Can we, can you just be really nice to me throughout this conversation? Um, you can have conversations that are like, I understand that like maybe I engaged in a non in like a in a high risk situation and now I'm in a situation I don't want to be in. Can we talk about a solution without reiterating that I like I like fucked up? And sorry, am I allowed to start? Anyway, but like no, okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> without like reiterating that like I made a mistake. And then the consistency is like is like take it. You can you can have these conversations slowly and over time. It doesn't have to be this big like like everyone tells everything about their feelings like you can have a little conversation with someone that's just like hey I had a weird experience and I don't really really want to go into it but can I just tell you the bare bones and then can we meet again next week and talk about it a little bit more um so like you can ask for all of those things with people and um I think that it's a good idea to practice like doing that and um that being said though it's really hard like those are like some really specific um criteria, I guess. And it's really hard to, um, 
it's really hard to open up and be vulnerable and ask for those things about people. So like, that is really great place that like counseling comes in. And so you can like, you can have a, like you can have it or like a, a relationship with like a counselor or like you can go see a counselor to like work on your own stuff, but you can also see a counselor and have them help you, um, help you foster those relationships with other people. So um, yeah, like, yeah, stigma breeds shame. Shame helps nobody. Um, we're all just trying to protect ourselves in this world and it's okay to, and really important to ask for help through that and to like seek um, different kinds of support. No, this was awesome. Uh, thank you so much for um, sharing you for your expertise me. and your wisdom. Yeah. No, thank you for like agreeing <laughs> to this and taking uh, taking a, a, a risk yeah. in, so to say, because um, I know that we are a, a newer podcast. I think you're going to um, do well. Fingers crossed. Thank you for your support. <laughs> All right, so if anyone um, would like to connect with you or to stay updated with the work that you do, um, here's an opportunity for you to apply. Yeah, yourself. so um, Vivarium Coaching, so www.vivariumcoaching.com. That's where you can learn about my practice. I've got like a booking client set up on there. So, and I offer free 15 minute consultations. So, um, so yeah, if that's something that like you listen to this and you're interested in talking to me, please book a session and um, also, yeah, and I do have sliding scale because that is something um, that um, a lot of people need. And if you specifically heard about me on this podcast, send me a message that says that you heard about me on Open Wide. And um, and if you need like sliding scale, that's something that is like that that will like I'm just able to sort of know where that request came from. Um, and then otherwise, like on my Instagram is like at Bethanish. Um, that's sort of where I do like my, that's where I have anything about like my performance or like any art that I'm doing or making. Um, but yeah, if you, I think it's also sometimes good to draw boundaries. So it's totally okay if you like just look at the coaching and not my personal Instagram. Cause like, I, you don't always want to know, uh, you don't always want to know like that much stuff about your therapist. So yeah, that's good. But yeah, um, those are those are those are where you can find me. And uh, yeah, that's that's my thing. Yeah. All right. So thank you to everyone that has uh, stuck around to this point in the conversation. Thank you to everyone that's been listening, and to anyone who is joining us from uh, YouTube because we do have a video component. Um, but thank you so much. Hopefully, you folks uh, learned a lot during this episode. And we look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Take care and peace.